Well, Teresa, I thank you for your, your prayer and for remembering and praying for something, a, a big thing that happened this week. And I do want to start by talking about that. I try to stay out of political things, but this is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. And this past week, in case you don't know, New York State changed some of its laws regarding abortion. The major change is to allow for the third trimester abortion if considered medically necessary. And it removed a third term or third trimester abortion from the criminal code and made it simply a medical issue. It also allows those who are not doctors to perform abortions. Now, I, I'm not going to try to speak knowingly about all of the abortion issues. I am not familiar with them. But one of the things, in addition to these changes that happened that I believe was so shocking to a lot of Christians, was to watch when the votes were counted. And in Albany, people stood, raised their hands, and cheered wildly. It was shocking. It was heart-wrenching. And I want to start today with three very important responses to this. So please hear each of these. They are each absolutely crucial. Number one, if you have ever had an abortion, I want you to hear today, you are loved by your Creator. You are loved by the people in this room. Christians, I challenge you first, before we we react to this and respond to this, and we must, but I challenge you, the gospel is about the Son of God coming to a hurt, lost, broken, dying world to save us from our sins. Do not lose that in your response to this important event. It is crucial. If you're here today and you've ever gone through this in your own life, I can't pretend to speak to what you might be thinking, struggling with, feeling. But know that you are loved by God, just like every other sinner sitting in every single seat in this auditorium, including standing right here. There's love and grace, no matter what our past. That is the first thing I want us to hear. The second is this. And I want to say it as the pastor of this church, speaking from the pulpit of this church, abortion is wrong. It is sinful. It goes against the very creative purposes of the Lord God Almighty. I don't care what our government says. It is wrong. The reason that these laws get passed, the reason that it is something our culture wants, The reason that those lawmakers in Albany were cheering is because we are sinners. All of us are sinners. Sinners who reject the authority of God do sinful things. As sinners, we put ourselves in the very place of God and think we have the right and even rejoice in deciding who should survive and who should perish. We put our own sinful desires and welfare above the needs of those who are more vulnerable than us. Sinners do sinful thing. And abortion is a sinful 
thing. So the first is, if you've ever had an abortion, I want you to hear you are loved. The second is, I want everyone to understand unequivocally from Scripture, abortion is wrong. Third, there is only one true hope for ending abortion. I sat with a group of pastors from our area on Thursday and and one of them raised this question, how do you respond? The older I get, the more convinced I am that there is no other true change in this world for solving the problems of this world that are caused by sin unless we deal with the sin itself Friends, the answer to abortion and every other ill in this world is Jesus Christ. Period. Abortion is not going to be ended by laws. It won't be ended by marches. It won't be ended by your Facebook posts, no matter how clever and witty they are. There's a place for those things. I'm not against them. Please hear that. But as Christians, we need to be thoroughly convinced that the only answer to sin, the only true solution to sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes a sinner, plucks them out of their sin and death, and puts them into a right relationship with God. The righteousness of God working from the inside out, changing who they are. That is the answer to all sin in our world. And Teresa, you prayed, help us to know what we can do. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter, no matter the cost. That's the answer, friends. Because when every single person is changed from being a sinner, saved by Jesus Christ, made in the very righteousness of God himself, guess what? There'll be no more abortion, ever. That's our goal. I start with that, not only because it's something I believe important in our culture, but because it is fundamental to why Paul writes what he does in Galatians chapter chapter 1. So turn with me to Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can truly change someone. I believe that to the very fiber and core of my being. People can at times change their behavior, but sin will always find a way out. It will always find an expression. We might like some of those expressions more than others, but it's still sin. People need to be changed from the inside out. They need to be saved. They need to be rescued. And because the gospel, the real gospel, is the only thing that can make a difference, we must, as the Apostle Paul says in our passage this morning, we must beware of substituting anything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot allow anything to come in and distort and change the gospel. So I want to read this for us. I'd like you to follow along. We're looking at Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Listen to the tone of Paul here. Listen to how he writes. Okay? So often we come to church and we just think, man, I just hope I'm uplifted and encouraged. Here's the Apostle Paul writing what, as far as I know, is the only letter to these churches. Listen to how encouraging he is. 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one or other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There is no substitute for the gospel, and there is no substitute gospel. What we believe about Jesus Christ absolutely matters. Because when we change what Jesus said about himself, when we change the gospel, we lose the gospel. It is not a minor issue. Listen, I I had you listen there to the tone of voice. I I don't know if I captured, I I don't really know uh, how Paul would have sounded. He probably would have sounded a little more... Greek, but um, in English, that's how I worded it. It, I picture here Paul, I know, as far as I know, he didn't have any children of his own, but I I think Paul's kind of using the dad voice here, right? He's pulling out the dad voice and he's chastising who he believed to be his children, people he had led to Jesus Christ, churches he had started. It's like a dad walking into a room and seeing his kids obviously doing something they know is better. It's totally hypothetical. It never happens in my house. But just theoretically doing something they know is wrong. And the dad just stops. And you know that tone. You know it. You just stand there. Kids, what are you doing? Which is usually quickly followed by, what? were you thinking? And right away, as a child, you know you're in trouble. The voice says it all. Paul's using his dad voice here. Why? What's the big deal, right? Who cares? I mean, he's writing to a church. Please get this. He's not writing to lawmakers in Albany. He's not writing to some secular government. He's writing to people who claim to be believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, what are you doing? There's something wrong here. Verses 6 through 7, he says, they are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. What is the gospel? The word itself means good news. Very simply means good news, great news, best news ever. I was thinking about this, you know, how easily we might use that phrase when somebody gives us good news. Hey, uh, you know, somebody just paid off your mortgage. Oh, that is the best news ever. Never actually had that happen. But theoretically, that would be the best news ever. Now, Imagine a five-year-old child, hey, you get a sucker. That's the best news I've ever heard. Okay, well, you're five. 
how much news have you really heard? Now imagine somebody that's lived through World War II and they get the news. The war's over. That is the best news I've ever heard. And you think, well, how much news have you really heard? Well, quite a bit. That's a lot to compare to, isn't it? Well, that that has more weight because you have more to compare to. Now imagine God saying, I've got great news for you. Well, that's a lot to compare it to, isn't it? If God says this is good news, it is absolutely the best news ever. The gospel is the good news, the great news about Jesus Christ. That the Son of God God died on the cross in our place, taking our punishment, rose from the dead and promises eternal life to all who believe. That is how we are saved. That's the gospel right there. It is so simple, a child can understand it. It is so deep and profound, you can spend the rest of your life, and I believe the rest of all of eternity, going deeper and deeper into the gospel, and you will see something newer and richer and more meaningful about it. Along with that, the gospel says that we need salvation. You have to start with the need for the rescue. If you're going to be able to accept a rescue, the gospel also says we are sinners. And there is no effort that we can do to save ourselves. Jesus did what we cannot. This is the gospel. We have nothing to add to this except to simply believe. This is what Paul preached when he traveled through the area, when he spoke in their their homes, when he gathered in the, the public squares, when he began to form these churches. They were about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he is saying, why are you giving up on that truth? Why are you changing it? Why are you distorting it? Look at what he says about what they're doing. Verse 6, he says, now please So often I think today we think, well, it's just a minor theological difference. It's just nitpicky. I mean, I'm not really into theology. We should all just love each other. Listen to what Paul says about this. I'm I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Now, Paul's not, I believe, here talking about Paul. He's talking about Jesus. Why are you deserting Jesus? Why are you turning your back on the Son of God? Does that sound like a minor theological difference to you? Verse 6, at the end, he says you're turning to a different gospel. He says, this is not what I preached. This is different. Verse 7, he clarifies, which is really no gospel at all. He said, this is not just a minor flavor difference. This is not a a change in toppings on the Sunday. You've thrown out the whole thing, substituted it with something else, and it is completely different, and it is wrong. Verse 7, then, he takes it even further. He calls it a perversion of the gospel. A twisting, a distortion. Literally, the word means to Turn around. It is a backwards gospel, an upside-down gospel, an inside-out gospel. It is the gospel in reverse, instead of saving you, that condemns you to hell. Is this a minor difference to Paul? Is this something as Christians we should just kind of say, well, it's, as long as they're loving, as long as they're good, what does it really matter? Is that how Paul is responding to this? How were they changing the gospel? 
I thought long and hard about how deep to go into this. The, the truth is the rest of the book of Galatians is about that question. How were they changing the gospel? So I'm not going to go into great detail because we'll be spending a lot of time as we walk through the rest of the book. But basically what was going on is that after Paul had left, other teachers were coming in. Christian teachers, people that were counted as a part of the church. These were not outside. It was not the culture. This is people that people thought were Christians. And they were coming in and teaching that people had to believe in Jesus. Hey, it's good what Paul taught you. That's good. And you also need to follow the Jewish law. Yes, Jesus, that's good. Part of the story. We've got the rest. Here's what you need to do to be saved. They were changing the gospel by believing and teaching that we are saved by Christ and also by our own effort. Any change, please hear me, any change that adds human effort to the gospel of Jesus Christ completely destroys it. It is not a gospel at all. It enslaves. It traps It does not set free. I want to be very clear, as Paul will be very clear in chapters 5 and 6, the gospel does indeed change us. Our attitudes and behaviors will change because of the gospel. As we live it out and trust in the gospel, we will change. So, So there is effort, there is work that becomes part of our lives, but it does not lead us to salvation. It flows out of salvation. That is a crucial difference. This is no small matter. Paul has used very strong words about this change to the gospel, calling it no gospel at all, perverting the gospel. In verse 9, he's going to say that those who substitute this changed gospel for the true gospel and teach it to others are under God's curse. Paul's not pulling punches here. Paul's not trying to win the most you know, popular prophet of the year or apostle of the year here. He's letting them know, don't change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save us. That's why it was so fundamental to Paul. It wasn't just simply, well, you know, if this helps you and makes you a better person, if this makes you happy, then that's okay. He's saying, wait a minute. If you're lost in sin and you're headed to hell, it doesn't matter how happy you are, you need to be rescued. Don't change the thing that rescues you. Don't change the thing that rescues others. Only the gospel can change us. We must never allow something to come in and substitute for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Our world now, just as Paul's world then, is filled with people, even in the churches, who are teaching a perverted and distorted gospel. It has always been true. I believe it will always be true until Jesus Christ comes back. So we need to take notice of this because these strong words that Paul is saying about these teachers need to cause us to open up our eyes and say, this matters. I need to be careful who I'm listening to. 
So how do we deal with bad teachers? How do we understand who a bad teacher is and what do we do about it? Verses 8 and 9. Paul says, but even if we... Notice what he says first. He says, please understand this. If I, Paul, the Apostle Paul, change the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm under God's curse. He's applying it to himself. Then he goes on, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a different or a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul did not look upon himself as some super authority, some ultra-religious guy that just got to say whatever he wanted, and if he said it, everybody else did it. He wasn't the very spokesperson, mouthpiece of God. He had to say what Jesus said. He had to teach what Jesus taught. He had to describe what Jesus did. That was the gospel. And if he deviated from that, he was nobody at all. doesn't matter that he was Paul. doesn't matter if Peter is Peter and one of the twelve. It doesn't matter if they deviate from the gospel, Paul's saying. Stop listening to them. He goes on. Or an angel from heaven. The Jewish people believed uh, that God had given Moses the Old Testament law, obviously. But a tradition had developed that he had done so through an angel. And they thought that was pretty cool. That that. Because it was God speaking and an angel transmitting the message to Moses, this is really important because God spoke the Old Testament law through an angelic being. And if an angel shows up, you should probably listen to the angel. And so we have people still today, just as in Paul's day, hey, I had a vision, I saw this thing, I had a dream, I spent five minutes in heaven, whatever it is. Because I saw it, it's absolutely true. And Paul's going, no! If it's different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't care who talked to you. I don't care how bright and shiny the light is. I don't care how profound your experience was. It's not true if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, in case, in case Paul uh, you know, was being confusing in any way, he clarifies... As I've already said, and so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. When you see things in Scripture repeated, notice it. Because the author is making a very strong point. So how do we recognize a false teacher? I believe today, and I think again, this has always been the case, we tend to judge teaching as being good or bad, based on how it makes us feel. How does it help me in my life? Do I feel encouraged and uplifted? Does it make me feel better about myself? Paul is giving us a much more important criteria for judging true teaching. And for those that we must reject When we come to judge true teaching, we must do so on the basis of the gospel above all else. Every radio preacher, every megachurch leader, every author of every Christian book ever written, 
every religious guru throughout history, we must first and foremost, above anything else, judge them on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do they teach the gospel? Does the teacher talk about the gospel, include the gospel, share the gospel? There are very popular preachers today that have written lots of books, sold lots of books, have enormous churches and enormous homes to match that conveniently leave out the gospel and pretty much everything that they say. Even if everything that they say, everything else they say is kind of, sort of, mostly correct, if they leave out the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything they say is actually completely wrong. Because if it doesn't start with the gospel, none of the rest of it matters. Does the teacher talk about, share the gospel, and include the gospel? Is everything that the teacher says based on the gospel and overflow from the gospel of Jesus Christ? If it's not, quit listening to that teacher. I try each and every sermon. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I I say it because I, I think it will help you to be aware of it. Every sermon, I try to make sure I include a basic summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, I have never once found that doing that is difficult with whatever passage I'm preaching because all of Scripture is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. And I want you to pick up words that you can use with other people. It is not hard to share the gospel. We have overcomplicated it. Is someone's teaching the true and unchanged gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only are they talking about the gospel, sharing the gospel, but have they changed or distorted the gospel? In order to do this, we need to ask, do teachers teach that humanity is sinful? When people teach that people are basically good, there is no gospel left. That is not what Scripture says. No matter how encouraging it may feel, it is not the truth. It does not help the drowning person to simply tell them, you're a good swimmer. Just be encouraged as you sputter and die. It's not helpful. That would be the worst lifeguard in the world. They need to be rescued. They need to be saved. Do people change the gospel by teaching that Jesus was one among many ways to be saved. That destroys the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do people who teach change or add anything to the gospel, adding any human effort necessary for salvation? Or do they teach that it is only by God's grace that we are saved and there's nothing we can add to it? Because that is the true gospel. Finally, somebody might get up and speak the gospel, share the gospel, be absolutely correct on the gospel, but then they move on and it's almost as if they've forgotten everything they just said and they teach something so completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bad teachers might teach salvation through the gospel, but then say, oh, and you've got to do this and this and this and this and this, and if you don't, then you're dying and going to hell. 
And that's exactly what was happening in the Galatian churches. We must judge religious teachers by what they do with the gospel. Not their impact, not their appeal, not their skill, not their fame, not their charisma, not their boldness, not their friendliness, not by the number of books they've written or sold, and not by how they make us feel. It must be by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, as a church in America, we struggle with this desperately because we fall in love with famous people no matter how many lies they are spouting. Be careful who you listen to and ask constantly as you hear them, what are they doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So what do we do with them? Paul says, let them be under God's curse. That doesn't preach very well, does it? That's not going to bring people in, into the church. I mean, that's not... Lo- How can you judge somebody? How dare you judge? Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. We can't judge others. Yes. Actually, we need to be very discerning on this matter in particular. What does it mean to be under God's curse? In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they rejected God's authority. They turned their backs on, the, on God. And God cast them out of his holy presence, kicked them out of the garden, and put them under a curse. Since that day, each and every person is born into that curse. Destined for death. Destined for hell. In need of being rescued. What Paul is saying is, by teaching a false gospel... These people are keeping other people under that very curse. And by so doing, they are under the curse themselves. Do not listen to them as a good religious teacher that is only slightly off. Listen to them as somebody who desperately needs to be saved by Jesus Christ and has no business teaching others how to be saved. They are lost. They are sinful. They need Jesus. This doesn't mean that they can't be saved. But it does mean that they aren't. This is harsh. And I believe, I I try to match my tone to the tone of the passage, and I don't know how you get any other tone out of this passage than the one I'm using. Paul is being harsh. And there is a time and a place for harshness when it comes to truth. I also want to caution us. These people were from inside the church. This was not the evil world and the evil culture coming in and changing or oppressing the Christians. These were people that were being invited into the church, put up in front, that were teaching, and people were cheering for them because they said, yay, they're preaching Jesus, and they weren't at all. The greatest danger to the gospel of Jesus Christ is always, 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 always from inside the church. It always has been. It always will be. Christians, we wring our hands at what's going on in our culture. We need to guard our hearts in the church. We are always tempted to listen to a different gospel. John Piper said this about this passage, Paul does not have a cotton candy concern for the gospel. He does not offer sugary smiles and controversy and say, to each his own. 
For Paul, the gospel of Christ is the point at which the awesome life of God touches the life of this foul world of sin. And when that offer of eternal grace to utterly unworthy creatures like us is rejected or perverted to satisfy our pride somewhere, someone must rage at the heinousness of the crime. Oh, how we need to meditate on the horror of rejecting the gospel. This is serious stuff. If this is such an important issue and such a big deal, why does it happen so easily? It's because we are at heart so often people pleasers. We want to keep everybody comfortable and happy, including ourselves. The irony here is they were blaming Paul for doing this. It says in verse 10, Am I now, here's Paul asking the question, Am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. These teachers were coming in from a Jewish background. This is a predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish area. And they're coming in saying, Well, Paul's just teaching that to appeal to those of you that aren't Jewish But here's what you really need to know. He's just trying to keep people happy. Paul's saying, are you kidding me? Do I really strike you as somebody that's just trying to keep people happy? Paul's saying, look at what I teach. Look at what I preach. I'm not trying to please anyone except Jesus Christ. And the irony is throughout the rest of this letter, Paul points out how these false teachers... And how the people that are believing in in them and what they teach are simply trying to keep the teachers and the rest of their culture happy. There is a profound and dangerous effect of people-pleasing on the culture, or on the gospel. We change the gospel to please ourselves, to fit our expectation, our traditions. We accept a changed gospel because it is popular and acceptable in our culture or to even those inside the church or because it is taught by somebody that we respect. We change the gospel to fit our culture. The Jewish culture had some acceptance in the Roman world. They were recognized as an official religion. Christianity was not. And so it was easier to add a Jewishness to the Christian gospel. There was pressure on the Gentiles as kind of the new kids who didn't really know their way. There was pressure of of these Jewish teachers saying, let us tell you how this really works. We give in to people-pleasing toward our culture in two profound ways. We change the gospel to make it acceptable to our culture. We take out sin or we redefine it. We stop talking about Jesus being the only way of salvation. We talk about God just loving everyone and just wanting everybody to be happy. Just the way you are. We think that by doing this, we will attract or impress a non-Christian culture. Instead, what we have done is just unraveled the lifeline of God that saves them. But there's another way we try to please people. We put our rules, our ideas, on top of the gospel. And we say, well, you have to believe this to be saved. We know more. And here's what real Christians look like. 
You have to follow these rituals, these traditions, these religious regulations, these rituals that are supposed to make you more righteous. Just do, believe in Jesus and then do A and B and C and D and we run out of letters and we, so we start inventing more. Just do these things and then you'll be right with God. Both are a form of people pleasing. Both completely destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 10. There is a fundamental choice to be made. Am I trying to please people? Or am I a servant of Jesus Christ? That's a hard choice. As we hold up the gospel throughout this study and warn against those who distort the gospel, I I want to give a word of caution. We're talking here about the danger of changing and distorting the gospel. This is not the same. Please hear me if you fall asleep. This is the time to wake up, okay? Please hear me. This does not apply to people who have accepted Jesus Christ and are studying Scripture and find differences of opinion on the gray areas of Scripture. This does not apply to things such as baptism, end times, whether or not Christians should drink alcohol, or so on. Too often as Christians, we say, I'm guarding the gospel. You drink alcohol, you're going to hell. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He has other places where he writes about those things and the grace and the mercy we need to show on those things and how we need to have a conviction in our own heart and not judge others on those things. That's not what we're talking about here. Too often I see Christians zealous for the gospel make every little nitpicky issue essential for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's wrong. There are things... In the body of Christ, we will disagree on, hopefully lovingly and graciously. How we are saved by Jesus Christ cannot be one of them, though. The gospel cannot be changed or distorted. It is not good enough to be good enough. It is not good enough to just be loving, to be happy. It's not even enough to be right about the cultural ills in our world, about abortion or anything else. It's not enough. We've got to be right about Jesus Christ and the gospel of how we and the rest of the world can be saved. What are you trusting in to save you? What's the gospel you're holding on to? Is it the true gospel? Or is it a substitute, a distortion? of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are you listening to? I challenge you to go home and look at your bookshelves, open up your Kindle, whatever. Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? There's some really popular preachers out there that I wish every Christian would just throw their books away. Be careful. And ask yourself, what are they doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the gospel matters. And our world and each one of us sitting here or standing here desperately needs the true, authentic, unperverted gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be rescued. And there is no substitute for the rescue that comes through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross in our place and His resurrection from the dead promising eternal life to all who believe. What a message! God, protect our thinking when we want to change it or distort it to suit our own desires or what we think will be more acceptable to others. Help us each to ask the deep and hard question, what gospel am I truly trusting in? And may the answer always and forever be the great news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.